Welcome to Detour to Neverland, your guide to living your best Disney life through your hobby or business. Here's your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 88. Catherine, we're at the end of our 10K giveaway. We're close. One more. So you got from now until Monday to enter our very last one. Before we go over what this last giveaway is, let's announce our winner from last episode. And it is Honey Brioga. And I bet I slaughtered how... um, she wanted to say that, but it's Brianna or Brianna. Um, and you can also find her under her Disney name at underscore wide eyed wanderer. So it's a new account. So it's a great chance to go over there, give her a follower. But you are winning a t shirt from our friends Britt and Leo over at Main Street Press. So we will be in contact with you to get your information to get that shipped out to you. So our very last giveaway, we mentioned it when we interviewed her. She's been one of our biggest supporters of all time, and it's Amanda, who runs Five Little Elephants on Etsy. One of the nicest people on the planet. She just got back from a Disney trip, so I'm sure she's feeling some Disney inspiration. Um, so we're going to put together some goodies for you, some tumblers and cups. Um, I imagine we'll, we'll cook up something nice. So um, last chance, take a screenshot, either send it to us or post it and tag us in it of you listening to the show, and that's how you enter. So thank you guys so much for entering up until now, the support has been amazing, and it's been a little exhausting for us. I'll admit that just to keep track of it all, but it's been such a blast to celebrate our 10,000 downloads. Now we're close to 15, so. Crazy. Crazy. Um, but today, we are super excited to be talking to Rain, um, who you can find on Instagram at RainLovesDisney or at rainlovesdisney.com. So Rain is a writer and an editor for different Disney publications um, and blogs online. So we are really excited to talk to her and get her perspective um, on just this area and hear what she has to say. So here's our interview with Rain. So I am Rain Turner. I am, like you said, at Rain Loves Disney on Instagram. And um, what I specialize in is creating content for various uh, Disney news sites, um, different YouTube channels. I freelance in that space. And um, I kind of take my audience behind the scenes on what it's like to be a reporter for those different Disney outlets. That's so awesome. So I'm excited to talk about that and hear more about that different perspective because that is definitely unique. But before we jump into everything Disney, first, let's just get to know you better. So what is your background? What's your life outside of Disney? Okay, well, I do a lot going on this time. <laughs> a loaded question. Um, I Well, we'll start with um, sort of the Disney stuff. I moved to Florida just a few years ago. Uh, from Ohio, actually, and I um, was the senior editor here at the Penny Hoarder in St. Pete, which is about, it's about an hour and a half west of Disney. That's where I locate everything. How far is it from Disney? Um, And I was a senior editor there working with our freelance team. So my team was located just everywhere, all around the world. Um, And uh, 
after I moved out of um, working for the Penny Hoarders, very recently, actually, my I was let off my leash um, when they went through a round of pretty huge layoffs. Um, a lot of the staff was let go, so there was a lot of us sort of out in the creative space, sort of finding our footing again. I went back to freelancing, which is something that I hadn't done full-time since probably 2010. I used to write for... Um, DIY fashion for about.com. I was the host of their DIY fashion virtual and I wrote a lot about costumes and making clothes. Um, but it had been a while. I'd worked as a creative director and then senior editor in the corporate space. So now I'm suddenly back to freelancing um, here suddenly in Florida, um, trying to uh, find my, you know, we're still pretty new to the area. So um, everything seems like super new at the moment. Uh, but um, I'm applying all of those skills, applying everything that I've um, garnered over the years in the digital media industry, and now I've turned my eye toward Disney and what Disney reporting looks like, who's out there, what outlets are out there. Personally, um, I live here in St. Pete with my husband and our, okay, we have four dogs, we have a turkey, we have three chickens, we have some twails at our house, um, the little birds' twails, uh, just for a little while. <laughs> We're watching them for my daughter-in-law. And we, I have three snails. And um, maybe that's it, actually. We have a squirrel that comes around sometimes. But a lot of animals, our children have, um, two of them have moved out. So my kids are older. Um, I don't know how that happened, but they're old now. Um, my youngest son still lives with us. He's in high school, but um, it's kind of a house where everybody's kind of coming and going. My older kids are coming to visit, and my son is in and out. He has a lot of friends, and then we have, like, all the animals and everything going on. So believe it or not, when I go to Disney to work or report, I'll go alone a lot of the time. And it's um, you wouldn't think of it that way, but going to Disney is a little bit of my alone time. Mm. Interesting. There's so much to unpack there. And it there sounds really like you're in, <laughs> it sounds like you're in a wonderful spot. So I'm I'm so excited to learn about that journey and kind of how you're getting your footing now in this Disney space. But I think to lay the foundation so everybody kind of understands where you're coming from, if you could tell us about your Disney story, kind of how did it grow into this love and passion over time and get to this point? So when my, when my older sister and I were pretty little, we, um, we didn't have a lot of money. So we were more PBS kids than Disney Channel kids at the time. Uh, so we were really into Jim Henson. We were really into Labyrinth. Um, we would pretend with our um, garage sale My Little Ponies that we were, you know, they were Doctor Who and that they were, um, we would make like Audrey 2 out of modeling clay from Little Shop of Horrors. And it really wasn't on our radar so much until, um, until we got a little older. And that was when um, like The Little Mermaid came out in 1989. Um, it led up to Aladdin coming out, which was like the real big one for us. Um, this was during a time where my parents were, I would be in like my young teens. I was what, like 12 when Aladdin came out in uh, 92. And uh, my parents were going through a pretty, pretty hearty divorce. Like they're good at a lot of things. And one thing they're not real good at is getting divorced. It was really, uh, it was a mess. So one of our escapes where my mom would um, 
you know, try to distract us from everything going on is we would go to the movies. And these were the movies that really stuck in my mind was those Disney uh, Renaissance movies. And Aladdin especially, we must have gone to see Aladdin more than 10 times in the theater. Because I think like it really clicked with us as far as like the humor. Um, you know, when we were little, we were more like, um, if we watched Disney movies, more like Lady and the Tramp or Robin Hood or Jungle Boat, like the frontier, like 70s stuff. And we were more like climbing trees and wearing dresses like Cinderella. So we were like tomboys. And then Aladdin sort of like hit this spot where it's just like the sense of humor that we had grown up with, um, the, the type of thing we were, I guess, looking for in a Disney movie. Um, we were all about it. And going from there into like Hercules and into Emperor's New Drove and all of these movies, The Lion King at that time, those really clicked with us. So also during this time are a lot of, um, I guess, you know, when, when parents get divorced and they're not doing it quite right, and this was sort of prevalent in the 80s, I think. I think people learned over time what you do and what you don't do in a divorce and how you regard the kids. Um, there's a lot of promises being made, like, if you live with us, we will go to Disney World. And this is something I heard from both sides. And, like, as a kid, you know, my eyes dazzle. I was like, wow, Disney World, that's that's amazing. What are you even talking about? And we weren't really a family that even went on vacation. It was like something people on TV did really was still on vacation. So it's something that we didn't really do. So then growing up, um, I, I love Disney since then. And I, you know, was so into the movies and I just kind of came into it later in life. And even as a teenager, I thought it was cool. And um, eventually I had my own family. So um, I had my son and my daughter and my youngest son. And once they got to be about um, probably maybe like six, 10 and five or something, I had graduated college. I had gotten a job and I was like, this is it. You know, if I'm going to be a successful parent, my goal, my marcher, the thing that says that I made it was that I was going to take my family to Disney World. I was going to do it. So I started looking up how to do that. And it turns out, if you do it right, and you do it at the right time, you take advantage of the right deals, it's not that expensive to go to Disney World. Like, you can swing it. If you save for enough time, if you save for a year, if you need to save for two years, you, you can sock away the money to go. And I found that out through months and months and months of research. So I looked up all of these things and I figured out all the deals and we ended up staying at, um, it was Port Orleans French Quarter, our first time we ever went to Disney. I did not step foot into Disney World until I was 28 years old in 2008. And um, we went for like the free dining days. We, you know, we, we got all of these different deals to go. And when we went, it was, it blew my mind for a moment there. Like I was there with my kids and I was a preschool teacher and I've always been a teacher in my life. And I'm very much, you know, centered on my kids and showing them the world and like trying to do everything I can for them. But when I stood out in front of Cinderella's castle for the first time, like when I was doing down Main Street, everybody disappeared. It was just me and the castle. It was amazing. I was, I was blown away. This thing that I had seen it was like a myth that I was seeing right in front of me. 
And to know that I had made that happen for my family was like, wow, you know, I did something that um, I thought was pretty impossible all the way through growing up. The castle was like something that appeared at the beginning of movies. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, that's a real place. Mm -hmm. Okay, we did go there. So um, it was uh, really a moment for me. And when we came back home, you know, I don't know how everybody else, <coughs> excuse me, feels when they first go to Disney, but after I came home, I was just like, that's it. This is my life. I need to get back to Disney World. That's why I go to work every day. It's because I need to make money for this next vacation to go to Disney World. But since I had spent all of this time researching it, I knew it. I knew it front and back. I had looked into how to do this, how to pull these tricks, how to like save every bit of money, <clears throat> all of the like you know, you buy five gift cards at Sam's Club, you have 15% off, you know, there's like all these different things outside of even the deals at Disney runs that you can do. So I start telling everybody I know, I'm like, hey, hey, man, if I could go on a Disney vacation, I bet you did. And I would just, you know, spew whatever trivia I had about these things. And um, somebody told me, well, you should, you know, you should uh, help people go on vacation on Disney vacations. And somebody told me what it meant to be a um, like a freelance travel agent. So um, I started doing that. I worked for Toral Sands Travel and then Expedia and then Magical Moments Vacations. I did that for four years where I sent people to Disney and I'm not much of a salesman, um, which is great because I find that Disney really sells itself. Somebody's going to Disney, they're going to Disney. The most you can do is like upsell if you really want to, but it's just if they want to go, they're going to go. And my job as a um, agent was just like, tell them save money to like show them where to stay. Don't go in the summer, you know, like go ahead, pull the tins out of stool for a week. It's going to be worth it to go in September if you're going to spend money on this thing. All these little things that I knew to help them. And I built a website for it. Of course, I've been building websites since I was a teenager as a hobby. I thought writing HTML was fun for whatever reason. And so I built a website for it where I had like all this information and just like, I need to market a website, you need content marketing, some writing blogs and everything to do this. And this is all on the side while I'm also working as a freelance writer. So I took that love of Disney and I turned it into something that I did on the side and I absolutely loved it. I eventually had to give it up to focus on my creative director position um, at uh, the marketing company that I mentioned. Um, but I loved it. You know, I'd go back to it in a second. It's, it was so much fun. And then from there, we just, we tried to go every year. We're in deep now. We're um, DVC and annual pass holders of tourists. We moved to Florida. Um, and a big part of that move was that, hey, we need, you know, it's probably time to just be closer to Disney World. We're going to have grandchildren soon. And I need to build this grandchild trap of me by <laughs> Disney World. Nobody's coming to Ohio to visit me, you know. Like I need to go, you know, grandma needs to go by Disney World because I'm I was realistically looking at um, my oldest son is 21, so and he's married, so you know, we're actually looking down the barrel of that. So it's kind of um, really just morphed into <laughs> into this large presence in our lives um, that we consistently just draw enjoyment and you know like a sense of accomplishment from I still believe like I I think I did right by my family by like having that as a goal like let me go to college let me get a real job 
and I'm going to take my family to Disney World. That I, is one of my favorite Disney stories ever. I was going to say, I love that so much, just that you had that goal and you knew like, okay, this is the goal. I'm going to do it. Like the research and the planning and everything that goes into that. Um, and I think all Disney fans can definitely agree that after you go once, it's so easy to get hooked <laughs> and you constantly think about that next trip. <laughs> yeah. You did that after Disney depression for sure. It's real. There's, there's even a, like at the tail end of your trip, you start getting a depression, like, <laughs> Oh, I only have two days left, but that is so, you know, and I, and I'm sure that you appreciate that. It is so unique that it did click for you kind of on that first trip that I know that, you know, some families that we talk to, it takes a couple times for them to understand that it's more than rides and attractions, that it's, there's so yeah. much a, a deeper level to it. Uh, so I think that's amazing that you kind of got it and it came, came into perspective after that. Oh, time. right away. We actually live next to Ting's Island, which is owned by Cedar Fair. They also own Cedar Point up in Ohio. And that is a theme park where it's pretty old. They built it in the 60s and um, sort of on the idea of what Walt was doing. There's a weenie. There's the Eiffel Tower, a third scale Eiffel Tower in the middle of Ting's Island. Um, and we went there a lot, but you know what? There was no theme to it. There's like, here's a roller coaster. Here's something else. Here's, you know, some um, married around, whatever. And there was no, you know, there's no theme to it. And growing up there, and we would get season passes to that. We were very much like roller coaster riders, very much had a park near us that we could go to. So when we went to Disney World, we had something to compare that to. And we're like, whoa, the attention to detail. Did you? you know, that Walt put a trash can every 30 feet or so because he followed people and like, wow, they didn't have to put this sign here, but they really did. Oh, do you hear that music playing? Oh, what's that smell? There's just like a lot happening there that we should really appreciate the attention to detail. We were like, this is clean. This is like splash. The inside of Splash Mountain is like, you're in a storybook. It's amazing. So we had like this point of reference to come from. So we were just thoroughly blown away. Um, on just like the theming and the attention to detail and the service. Mm -hmm. We've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast, but we have one set of friends in particular where they just went to Disney for the first time recently. Yeah. Um, But the the wife has been before. Uh, So it was our first time together. The wife has been before and she, we were talking about doing, you know, this trip all together at some point down the road. And she was just, trashing Epcot and <laughs> trashing Animal Kingdom. It's like, they don't have any roller coasters. Like, I'd rather go to Universal. <laughs> like, I'd rather go to Harry Potter. And it's like, those are great. But like, you just want to like shake those people. Like, you don't get it. You don't get that there's so much more to it. I think it's a different type of client, you know? I think it's, um, especially working travel, I would have, I was Disney only. I was like, I'm going to only work in what I know when I was a travel agent. This is all I'm going to do because I can choose to do what I want here. And I would have some people who were really just universal. You've got your universal people and you've got your Disney people. I think there's um, some people want thrills and some people want to be enveloped in a world. They love world building. And that's what I'm looking for is that escape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. The other thing that really stood out to me is the fact that you said you saw Aladdin 10 times. I feel like 
seeing any movie 10 times has got to be some sort of record. I would love so, to hear if anyone can beat that because that's amazing. Um, interestingly, well, there's like some old pictures of me with huge, huge glasses on one. And then I have like this Aladdin hat and I had like this Ramona the Pest, like Beverly Cleary sort of like chopped hair chat. And I thought I was so cool. But looking back now, I'm like, hiding those pictures but I was so <laughs> into Aladdin that years later when I was um, working as creative director um, we had to fill something out where we were trying to figure out a fact about ourselves and someone at work actually told me well you know all the words to Aladdin and I was like oh and they're like well yeah and I was like okay and I thought about it for a minute and I do and I could probably <laughs> recite the like the dialogue because and I think it was because I was so young and that we had seen it so many times you know when we were invested we bought the VHS that was back in um, it may have been DVD days I don't know um, we might not have one yet but there's still you know VHS players floating around out there um, but it's it was in my soft little adolescent brain it had like sunk its claws in and it's, it's still there mm -hmm. that's amazing not the worst thing to have stuck in there <laughs> So are you excited for the live action Aladdin? I want to be so honest about how I feel about that. <laughs> um, but I, I actually, um, I don't know if you guys have had the chance, but at Hollywood Studios right now, you can see an extended preview of Aladdin. Oh. And let me tell you, the security in there, I was like, I went with recently with um, WWNT had their Stage 89 event. And I went in there as part of a group. Normally, I don't watch previews. I like to go in fresh to a movie. I don't watch anything on TV. I stay off the internet. I have to go in between. But I was with a group, and I was like, okay, I don't, I'm not sure about this Aladdin movie anyhow, so like, I'll sit through this. It turned out to be the whole first scene of the movie is what they show you in there. Mm. And it was impressive because there were also like eight security guards that stand along the rows to make sure that you're not filming. And I was like, wow, this must be some preview. But then it ended up being the whole first scene. So I, there was something in that first scene where they took a moment away from Jasmine, which um, really, really burned my chaps a little bit. And I, <laughs> I think maybe after it comes out, it'll be more um, obvious what I'm talking about. I don't want to give any spoilers. I'm sure I'm allowed to talk about it, but like, I don't want to ruin anybody's time because I'm so spoiler sensitive. Um, and I think that the genie scenes are, first of all, I think Will Smith is an amazing candidate for that. But I think in execution, it looks a little like somebody wearing a Joe Pro and their head is still while their body's moving. And it has this uncanny valley thing happening that I can't, I can't reconcile in my brain. Maybe if I'm in that movie for an hour or so, but I got burnt real bad by Dumbo. So my expectations are not high. <laughs> yeah. My brother said something when he when we watched the trailer and I think it made sense to me it almost looks like Will Smith as the genie is like a snapchat filter like it, <laughs> yes. it, it's just like like and I'm just hoping maybe the CGI is not like completed yet but in those first couple of trailers it it just there's something off about it it's rough and I think maybe if they come out with it and we all feel real uncomfortable maybe in 10 years they'll remaster it and fix the whole thing and then maybe <laughs> maybe for the special edition in 10-15 years we'll be like wow that looks good yeah well awesome well I thank you so much for sharing that Disney story I think it, it lays a wonderful foundation to talk about 
kind of these gigs and, and these writing roles that you have and something and something that you already mentioned is something that I do think is so unique to you of where you do give that behind the scenes look. And I know on your Instagram stories, you share kind of, all right, here's my plan for the day. Here's what we're working on. Kind of here's my approach to it. So if you can just kind of share a, what is your role, you know, just from a high level perspective of what it is that you're doing? And then what does a typical park day look like? And what does a non-park day look like for you, for anybody who's interested in kind of gearing up for something similar? Okay. So what I do right now, I am a freelance writer and editor for um, purely the Disney space. So I'm someone with a heavy journalistic and digital media background. Um, and I've turned my eye toward Disney fully this time. Um, I've always kind of freelanced a little in the past, but what I do right now is I, I write and edit for um, various um, Disney outlets. So they're Disney specialized. So it's not just like, um, it's not just like, you know, a different travel um, publication, not like about.com's travel site or something and there, and I'm writing about Disney for that it's actual like Disney focused publications. So I currently have a monthly column in the print and digital editions of WDW magazine, and that's called Adulting at Disney. And um, you can look for the first installation of that in the June issue. I'll be talking about behind the scenes as a date night um, for plant nerds. Uh, and I'll also, I also do Instagram stories for them um, and posts while I'm in the parks. Uh, for Inside the Magic, I'll do Instagram for them. Um, and I'll treat, uh, I've treated video content for them, um, various types of videos. Um, so I did some like on a Disney cruise, but I'll also do one where I'm just kind of talking about something and showing pictures sort of like newscast style. And I've written for their site. I've written some pieces for World of Walt and Orlando date night guides. So they're more of like Orlando focused, but um, just kind of like Disney dates. And then uh, currently I have an editorial that I'm putting together for the true over at WDW News Today. So I kind of um, get a look at all of these different publications and um, coming at this from um, a journalism background. So as a professional that has reported uh, many times in the past, I'm sort of um, coming at it, I think, in a different way. So that's why I show the behind the scenes because um, when you're trying to report on something, there is uh, a way to do it really successfully and approach it in um, a positive way or a thorough way or to be professional about it um, and to kind of get all your ducks in a row and organize your work. So that's why I post those behind the scenes to show people what it's really like to be a reporter who is tackling Disney. So I love, you mentioned a lot of times um, that you're doing like date nights and different things like that. Like, do you actually, do you and your husband actually go on the dates before you write about it? Yes, that is absolutely. Um, I think that, uh, that has to be done. If you're, if you're reporting, you have to do the thing that you're telling other people to do. So that's one thing that, um, I hope to bring into this space is, um, there's a lot of enthusiasm, which is great about Disney. And there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of showing what there is to do, kind of like suggesting things. But there's also a lot of misinformation out there, which I found when I was a Disney travel planner, I would get so frustrated because one of my clients would turn me this info that was not legit whatsoever. But they read it somewhere because someone was excited and they thought that that's, you know, what, what happened. 
um, you absolutely have, you have to go eat the thing. You have to go lift at the thing. You have to go stand in the line. You have to part your char, walk in, just like everybody else, you have to do it. So yeah, we do those dates. Um, and you know, you get so much, you just so many nuggets from that, that you wouldn't otherwise, if you're just kind of um, doing what a lot of any type of news site does, which is regurgitating the same news. So like, you know, a new update comes out and you see it immediately on 10 different news sites it's all the same information. Well, that's because they're all reading each other's things or they're all looking at the same press release or they all went to the same media event and they're just regurgitating, you know, what there is out there. So you definitely have to, you gotta do it. That's what reporting is. Otherwise you're, you're just not reporting. Mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful advice. Um, something that I'm interested in is how much kind of uh, freedom do you have when it comes to getting an assignment or, or deciding what you're going to write about. Is there, you know, conversation between you and these different publications or do you just propose something as a freelance writer and they approve it? Kind of what does that look like for anybody who, who's kind of looking for that freedom to explore things that they're interested in? Okay. Well, I'll try to take you through the process. I feel like my answers are pretty long winded so far. So like, please jump in here and cut me off um, <laughs> as I launch into this explanation. Uh, the way it works is um, I've been I've been on both sides. So I was a freelancer for a long time for about.com and then I worked as an editor and creative director. And especially just for the past two years, I exclusively um, worked with freelancers. So that's like all I did. So I know how it is on both sides of the fence. Um, I know what it's like to pitch and I know what it's like to receive pitches. So as an editor, I have an idea of what editors want, like how to make their lives easier when you are trying to pitch a story. So typically, um, typically you won't get assignments from an editor unless you are already a regular contributor there or have contributed something that they've liked and um, they trust you in some capacity where they're like, hey, this thing's happening over at Disney. You know, you wanna go cover it? This is when we would need it, bye. That's kind of something that comes later, and I think maybe that's how a lot of people picture this working, but really that's that's never the first step. So if you're approaching um, a publication, you'll typically pitch to them, and you'll say, hey, I'm Rain, I have this idea, you got a sample of a snazzy headline that you want, um, that you want to get in there, and it helps, you know, that help, that might not be the final headline, but it helps drive the editor's attention and help them to try to think in their brain, you know, what the reader's curiosity point is for that and, you know, how clickable that is and or what interest there will be in that. How does it serve the reader? And then you give them a description of what you want to do and um, just sort of explain it. The most important thing that I, I really want to get across to um, some writers that I'm working with, um, those that I mentor, is you need to have clips. So clips with a C is um, samples. So these are things that you've written. Send them three samples of something you've written. Even if you're linking back to your own blog, even if you're starting with a small publication and you're like, hey, this is what I've done to check it out. As an editor, that's all I wanted to see. I need to know that you have the writing chops. I need to know that you know how to serve the reader, that you know how to put your words together, that you know how to separate things out so that's scannable because everybody is just kind of skimming through articles these days. You know how to use subheads, it's clean, it looks good. 
that's all I wanted as um, an editor. I would look at somebody's clips before I even looked at their pitch because if their clips looked good, but I didn't like their pitch, I would write back and say, hey, that's not a really good fit, but you know, what other ideas do you have? Let me, let me see what else you got. So um, that's some big advice, but um, putting that pitch in, there's definitely some back and forth. If the, if the editor sees the pitch, that's um, one of the biggest hurdles. So uh, I've managed an editor inbox before. It's actually a nightmare. So everyone in the world will send you an email every day and uh, say that they want to write for you. And they, you know, they've never written before, but they've written some in college and they have this idea that is about lingerie and your site's about personal finance. And you're like, uh, do I even answer you? I don't know what to do. Because you actually have 300 of these. So I get what that looks like. For every publication, it's different. Um, but for a lot of um, mid to large size, they actually do get a whole lot of those. So um, just sending the editor to see your pitch is huge. So if you, if you know anybody that knows somebody at that publication, that super helps to try to get your stuff out in front of them. Um, connecting more socially, like on, on social media, I mean, or even in person. Um, I had a great time with the WDWNT people this past weekend. Um, and really got to talk to them in person and now and then I went ahead and pitched them afterwards So just like, you know, just sitting out there and being a human and talking to people really helps but um, once they see your pitch uh, You'll definitely discuss it. So um, if I had an idea about different um, like say Let's see. I did one for um Orlando Date Night Guide, and it was um, the quintessential things to eat at Disney Springs. So these are, you know, you haven't even been to Disney Springs if you haven't eaten these things, you know, like a real dull whip kind of situation. So um, the discussion there was like, which things will we cover? Which do you absolutely need? You know, asking your editor, what do you want to see out of this? Here's what my vision is. So there's a lot of back and forth that can go on there, but um, a lot of it is, uh, there's just there's a lot of collaboration that happens there during the pitch process, which is you want to make sure that what you deliver is what the editor thought they were <laughs> thought they were gented yet. Because there's nothing worse than being an editor, having something assigned out, you know, making space for it in your publication or time out of your day even to edit it, and then it's like you know it's not what was pitched. This is also interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say this. <laughs> this is seriously some great advice. I think anyone who is interested in freelance writing 100% needs to listen to this because you are just dropping so many valuable pieces of information. I mean, we, obviously this isn't a space that we are familiar with at all, but this is so helpful. I think all this is great. Well, I do think I'm, I'm a teacher first and foremost. And, um, and that's what I think I do for the reader, hopefully, is I teach them, you know, I, I, I have something valuable for them delivered in an entertaining way. But I think the way for me to, and maybe leads into the question of, you know, what am I hoping to bring to this space is, um, I, I think that through helping writers and helping editors to, to go through these steps to, to know like what, how to navigate, um, how to navigate reporting and journalism in a professional way and to bring that to the space, to the Disney space, I think is where, um, 
I think that's where my value lies, which is I can reach my audience with my writing or my videos or my Instagram content. But if I can teach others, you know, how to do this and how to say, like conduct themselves at a media event or how to pitch successfully, how to, um, how to not plagiarize, how to not steal photos from other sites. I do see that on some of the new sites. It's um, a little scary. How to just, you know, like treat your writers well, you know, teaching the editors that, you know, really entering the space with my experience and trying to impart some of that um, onto this space, which is it's um, a lot of the new sites, while it's amazing that they're born out of a love of Disney, not all of them are um, run by those with a journalistic background or an editorial background or a digital media background. So they're kind of flying by the seat of their pants, mom and pop shop in it you know which is great and you don't know what you don't know but i think that it's valuable to learn those things absolutely for sure so one last thing that i wanted to ask before we head into our fast pass round um because you shared so much really great information on how to break into that space but i want to see if you have any advice on kind of what strategies that you've used to increase your individual exposure so building you know your own instagram following and and, and networking with people to acting outside of those, you know, the parameters of, of a publication, but, you know, connecting with a larger audience within the Disney community, kind of what strategies or advice do you have in that space? I think that where I have done well, I actually started my Instagram last summer and I, there was a learning curve to it. Uh, I had to just learn how to do it. I had been, um, I had been familiar with best practices and um, I had led social media teams, but we were delving more into Facebook and Twitter at the time. And um, this last summer was around the time, um, it was sort of post um, Facebook algorithm change where a lot of websites got just thwarted by the Facebook algorithm and everybody's kind of like, I don't know about that Facebook. So I started looking at Instagram and, um, kind of learning it and it took me a solid uh probably almost a year it's been almost a year now but I've spent all of that time just learning how to use it and I was I was actually standing with Tom Chorlis of WDWNT we were waiting for the new um Magic of Animation show to start and he said I don't know anything about Instagram I was like well if you study it for a year like me you too should be where I'm at at this point so it's been an experiment um on Instagram, I've done it all probably. I have, follow loops used to be really big last um, summer. I don't think they're as big as they are now. Um, I did those and while it's kind of um, a counterintuitive gimmick, I met a lot of people that I still talk to now through those loops. Um, the pods apparently don't work. It's like, a, you know, Instagram's onto those. So people are saying, don't do pods, don't do pods. but for my, as far as it's social media, the people that I was in pods with a long time ago, I still talk to them, you know, like, because I was looking at their stuff, I was so familiar with their content, um, that it, it drew into the theory of what it was supposed to be, was people helping each other out and kind of getting to know each other rather than just commenting and liking. So I don't want to say that those things don't have any value, because if you're on social media to be social, I mean, it did, I did make some friends through them. So that was sort of an interesting, um, I don't know if that's the side effects because I guess that's the whole point of them. I've tried 
Um, I have thoughts on all of these things. <laughs> I have tried um, giveaways, and I recently just finished a round of those, and I think I'm done with them forever um, because I would do, there's two different kinds of giveaways. So there are like the um, mass giveaways where you pay um, a few dozen dollars or how I just say vary in price. And, you know, that giveaway page like gets everybody to follow everybody that they're following. You don't have to ship anything. You know, it's real easy for you to run this giveaway on your page and not have to go to the post office, which is for me. Mail us like return in library books and videotapes. I tend not get to post office. I don't know what it is about my life, but I've never been good at it. So um, I the people who have won giveaways for me, I did like a little fun one. Like here's like some maps or whatever. It's like a paper and pen giveaway just for like people who follow me. And it, man, God bless the person who won because it took me like two weeks or more to get to the post office. So these appealed to me because I was like, wow, I don't have to do nothing. I'll just give you a couple of dollars and be on my merry way. And I only enter, I only did the ones where it was a Disney giveaway. So I was like, well, that is my merchant. So, you know, if I was a Disney publication, I would do a Disney related giveaway to, you know, help broaden my audience and reward those who follow me. So it made sense to me. I was like, yeah, people who like Disney, they're going to like me. And then they'll see what I have to offer, whatever. Well, the Instagram algorithm, it doesn't work that way. So even if someone followed me from a giveaway with the intention of like, oh, yeah, this looks good, they may never, ever see my post again just because of the way that Instagram is set up. So even if I was hitting my target audience with this giveaway, um, say it's for like a Disney gift card or like a Disney purse or something, um, you know, the way it works is they're going to follow 50 people for this giveaway and they may not, you know, they may not see me again. I might, I just won't pop up in their feed just because that's the way it works. So I tried those. Um, I don't know if a lot of people will admit to trying those. There's some pretty big Instagrammers out there and I think maybe they pretend that they haven't done the giveaways, but there's no shame in my game. I mean, they're, they're out there and they fit my brand. So I tried them, but I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to like, I don't think they're for me just because I don't think the return is there. I think that that slow grind um, and going back to um, really putting the time in, you know, 30 minutes a day, commenting on people's stuff that I like, you know, not just like, wow, that chup tape is gorgeous. You are right. I haven't seen that 4,000 times already on Instagram, <laughs> you know, and being disingenuous about it this is what I think people want. And this is why I adhere so closely to, um, to journalistic ethics and trying to report in an honest way. People are sick of this. I think people want authenticity. I know, I don't know if it's fully, I've been harping on this a lot lately, but I think that it hasn't fully dawned on everyone in a loud way yet. But I think we're all sort of, you know, it's all sort of, it's been known that like, you know, some magazines are sort of, you know, maybe not super genuine about their reviews because they did a kickback or they're like buddies with this company or they've been to a media event and got wowed by the media event, whatever. But now we've got influencers and they're little, they're worse at covering this up. So they're, uh, it's pretty obvious, I think, when somebody is hosted and they don't say or they're like really shilling a product and you're like, wow, I really want to follow you, but you won't stop shilling and it's like hard to watch sometimes. So I think that it's, it's really wearing on people. And I think people crave authenticity. I think they want 
and authentic experience, and it's becoming something that's rarer and rarer everywhere online, much less on Instagram, and much less in reporting. So I think it's something that's really dawning on everyone, and it's about to really super dawn on everyone. So I think that that authentic experience of, let me light what I light, let me comment on what I comment, let me talk to who I want in my DMs, and you know, it'll happen organically. The people who like what I have to say will light it, and I'll have more fun along the way talking to the people who I feel are authentic and who are just you know doing their thing in an honest way. Mm-hmm. I love that, absolutely, because I, I a I really respect how you've admitted that you've tried different things and, and, you know, some things work for you, some things don't work for you. And I think that's the most important thing that anybody can learn. And that's a process that, that we are going through at this moment of saying, all right, I'm comfortable with these things. These are the things that bring me joy. These are the things that I get the most, you know, interaction and, and create friendships with, whereas other things, cause we, I'll be the first to raise our hand and say, we're the first people that whenever, you know, the next publication that comes out that says pods are dead, we're like, to Telegram. Then we get the Telegram, we're like, this isn't what we wanted. <laughs> and then we come back and it's like, you just got to step away for a minute and realize that there is no quick, you know, fix to any of this, that, that it's, it's going to have to be an organic thing that grows over time and, and where it really hit home for me is that you talk to someone maybe with a big account, whatever number you, you put on that label, you know, if it's 40,000, then it's 40,000. And those people are complaining, Oh, well, I have all these followers, but my engagement is so low. So there's, it's not always grass is greener on the other side that, that, that it's, you've just got to find what works for you and you've got to stick with that. And that's how you find success. Yeah, that's very true. And everybody's looking at engagement more these days. You know, people are chatting on, I think to some degree, because as you, if you're a huge Tim Kardashian person, the percentage of engagement per um, followers, it gets smaller naturally. Like what is expected does get smaller naturally. So someone who does um, just amass 60,000 followers they're still going to have like a thousand comments, but that's a very small amount, but it's hard for the brain. You know, after you start looking at comment amounts, it's hard for your brain to wrap around numbers that are in the thousands. So it's kind of like, it, it kind of, it's like when, if somebody does have that many followers, people will jump on the bandwagon. There is some truth to that. You know, people say, oh, followers don't matter. But like, if you get into those high numbers, people are just going to weirdly start following you. And you may get the engagement eventually, but I feel like that's the bad road. I feel like it's attainable in a weird way. But if you're looking to be beloved and gain super fans, that's not going to work. And it's, and it's weird. It's hard to not know what's what because you're like, Oh, this person I follow, they're doing the giveaway. It must be like fine. Right? Like if they're doing it, I should do it. I like them. So it's really strange because everybody's just bumping into each other. Nobody knows what's going on out there. And we're all, I think we're all just blindly trying things at this point. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, Rain, I thank you so much for sharing all of that information. I think that is so helpful for our listeners. A, who's anybody who's looking to get into this freelance writing space or reporting on anything in the parks. 
and also the Instagram strategies I, I think are so helpful. But the next thing we'll jump into is our fast pass round. You guys have probably heard us talk about our upcoming trip to Walt Disney World in October of this year, which will be our very first trip with our niece, and she'll be 18 months at the time. As you can imagine, going to the airport, traveling on the Magical Express with all of our extended family and our baby niece is going to be a stressful situation. So we did our research and decided that we were going to pitch to my brother and sister-in-law that we are going to not take a stroller, take her stroller down there, but instead use a stroller rental company. So we settled on Kingdom Strollers. It's a company where you can get up to 50% off the theme park prices for strollers and they'll deliver it straight to the front desk of the hotel or vacation home that you're staying at. All of their strollers or carts meet the requirements for the new Disney rules that went into effect earlier this month. So it really is a wonderful fit. So, if you want to learn more about Kingdom Strollers, you can go to detourtoneverland.com slash kingdom. Again, that's detourtoneverland.com slash kingdom. So we'll just throw out these Disney topics, and if you can just kind of share the first thing that comes to your mind so our listeners can get to know your Disney fandom a little bit better. Okay. So the first one is just name the Disney parks that you visited. I have visited Disney World and everything therein. Alrighty, and of those those four parks, which one is your favorite and why? I I have to say Magic Kingdom. I will say that every time my husband and I are in a park, we walk out and we're like, no, that's my favorite park. (laughs) I guess we just have fun in each one, but I'm going to say the feeling that I did when I walked into Magic Kingdom, it's the first part I ever went into, and I'm a sentimentalist in that way, so I'm going to say... I'm going to say Magic Kingdom just for, um, it's just, it's magical. What more do you want? Yeah. yeah. So the next one would be your Disney bucket list trip. That is Tokyo Disney Sea. So I have been um, all about that for a long time and I have not yet made it over there. So that's my, that's the next one on my list. I have to get over to Japan and I have to spend time in Tokyo Disney Sea. I'm all about it. Hopefully we will meet you there. That is ours (laughs) as well. So next one would be your favorite Disney resort. And it doesn't necessarily have to be one that you've stayed at. So I think we've stayed at all of them, except for like sports. You know, we're not, (laughs) we're just not into sports. Um, But it would be Port Orleans Riverside for the same reasons as Magic Kingdom. When I finally got my family there, we stayed at, um, we stayed at French Twitter, but Riverside has like the little pool and you can walk back and forth and there's a boat that goes over to Disney Springs. It's just for a moderate resort. Like this thing, it really has everything you need, including beignets within walking distance. It's hard to beat that. Yeah. (laughs) So moving on to rides, if you could only fast pass one ride for the rest of your life, which one would it be? This is one that um, requires a lot of thought, I think, a lot of cheerful thought. But in my, in my head, in my scenario, um, it is one that I would need a fast pass to because I love some rides, but they're easy to get on. Um, so if I needed a fast pass for this ride, it would be Splash Mountain because um, it's, I feel for my 
for my fast pass value, the length and beauty of this ride really, it really has the most value, I guess. Um, the theming in there is amazing. When I first read the new, the journey um, into the, you know, the Little Mermaid ride, um, I thought it would be something like Splash Mountain, and I went in there, I'm like, why don't they have the trees covering the, the roof? Why is there fake water here? Why don't you just put water there? Because I was coming from such a Splash Mountain um, fangirl space in my head that I'm, every time I ride um, the Little Mermaid ride, I'm just trying to overlay Splash Mountain effects in there, and it's just, it hasn't happened yet, but I recently met some former Imagineers, and I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> I love that. Splash Mountain is so unique, and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't love it for a long time. But now I do because it is that perfect combination of a thrill ride and a dark ride. That you get that storytelling plus the thrill at the end. What was your? Um, I'm having trouble being interviewed because I want to ask you guys a lot of questions because <laughs> I'm used to being the interviewer. Um, what was your unpopular opinion about Splash Mountain? He didn't like getting wet. Is the drops, oh. really? I've never <laughs> been a fan of drops. Oh, I see. Well, we couldn't be poncho people. That's that's too extra. But I think it's <laughs> just that you didn't want to get wet at the end. You know, it makes it fun with all the poses, you know, like pretend you're asleep or eating spaghetti or something. <laughs> makes it yours. I love it now. I really do think it was the drop. I just had this irrational fear of drops. Like I wouldn't go on Tower of Terror for the longest time either. Oh, well, that feels like you're going to die. That's understandable. <laughs> That's a natural human response. I think it's just like the intimidation of standing on that bridge and watching people do the just drop like over it. and over and over again. You can hear their screams. I just got in my own head. Yeah, they're legit scared for their lives when they fall down. That's understandable. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so next one, sticking with rides, which ride or attraction do you think is due for an exit or, or a refurbishment from the parks? Okay, now I'm going to say this. Um, this is what I want. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about it. I told you I come from like a PBS family. As a leader, Jim Henson is one of my leadership idols. I have a picture of him like helping to puppet Ernie while he's clearly the boss of this whole operation. He's like boots on the ground type of dude. Mm -hmm. I love him. That said, I want to, um, I want to redo Muppet Vision. Um, I don't want to take it out. I, I fear for Muppet Vision because Rizzo's is there, but you know that's seasonal now. So um, they put more seating in there, which gives me hope. But I'm always like, as a, as a really diehard Muppets fan, I'm always afraid that they're going to be put away again. <laughs> I have that, that anxiety going on. So I think that Muppet Vision 3D should be, it should be refurbed and they should turn it into a Muppets telethon. So it'll be a telethon sort of like in the first recent movie, but they could have um, a tie-in for Star Wars and make some notes, like make some like little references to Star Wars and do pigs in space like they did on the Muppet show. You should have, you should still have Statler and Waldor Waldorf in the balcony, but then you should have like a row of like um, Muppets either puppeteered or animatronic like answering phones on the other side. You should have on the screen, you should have stars come in, all of the old Muppet show. It would be very Muppets to have stars make an appearance, you know, sort of like Ellen hanging out over at the Universal Energy. Mm -hmm. And um, they should be like raising money. And then, you know, there's a build there. There's a story because at the end, they always raise the money. 
um, you should still explode things if you wanted to, because I think that, um, I think when I saw the Muppet show that happens now in Magic Kingdom, um, all of the best parts of a marriage in history, only the American parts, um, I tried because I realized I was sitting there with tears in my eyes eating popcorn, but still, um, because I'm watching Kermit and it's not a robot. It's not like a robot or a strain. Someone in there who has been trained in the art of Muppeteering is doing Kermit and here's Miss Piggy and they're like really there. And that's the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that. Um, and I think they should do something like that at MuppaVision. And I feel like if they did something like that, that it would help, you know, bolster Muppet Vision and keep it around for a little longer. Because I think the idea of like, you know, wow, this, you know, CG guy that flies around, as much as I enjoy the show, that's not exactly cutting edge anymore. And I think that um, you should do something that's more like vintage Muppets, more heartfelt Muppets and taps into more of what people love about the Muppets and get that up there and have like a little Jim Henson thing too. Mm -hmm. I can completely get behind that. I also love the Muppets. My only two stipulations is Sweetum still has to come out and walk around. Yes. And you have to have the Swedish chef in the back as well. I don't, Yes. I would prefer his canon, but <laughs> mainly just him. <laughs> I like the Tannen idea, and I feel like, you know, Johnza should be shot out of that Tannen. I think there should be, like, a beautiful rainbow connection scene, you know? Make the people sob. People want to try when they see the Muppets, at least a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. So, moving on to food. This is our favorite portion of the Fast Pass round. What is your favorite snack or just a go-to snack? So right now, I am really hot on those cheeseburger egg rolls that are in Adventureland. I'm not a big meat eater, but when I do, it's um, cheeseburger egg rolls. They're just, it's like eating a McDonald's cheeseburger, but in crispy egg roll form. And um, I do have, uh, I like the vegan grilled cheese at Woody's Lunchbox. So I guess it's not like a snack. Maybe that's my um, counter service that I would pick is over at Woody's Lunchbox, because what you do, I'll give you a trick, okay? This is what you do. You order the children's kids meal. You order the vegan grilled cheese. So you order the kids meal, it's grilled cheese, but you order it vegan. You're going to get both sides of that sandwich instead of the one side, because they have to make it vegan. That's my hot tip. So usually when you get a grilled cheese, you just get one half? Yeah, because it's the kid size. Yep. Oh, that is a pro tip. Yeah. And the cheese, you know, it's diet cheese, which is like, if you know anything about shelling out for fake cheese, that's the good stuff. It tastes pretty much <laughs> like cheese. <laughs> so interesting. That's funny. We're going to have to try that next yeah, time. Yeah, that's a good tip. So I guess that's your quick service is, is Woody's Lunchbox. What is your favorite table service restaurant? Um, This one, I, I honestly... I couldn't decide um, what my favorite table service is. <clears throat> I have eaten at a lot of the table service restaurants, but I will tell you that <clears throat> we didn't really just go through my typical day at Disney, but it's me running around a lot. Uh, it's just the way that we roll is fast. You know, my kids were never really little, little when we went to Disney, so we've always been like hit the road kind of people. Um, I would say maybe Ohana is one that I suggest to a lot of people. Um, 
if you're going to spend a dining credit on a um, on a meal, you know, it's one credit for for those on the dining plan. This is just another tip I just I'm doing it too here. Sorry. Um, it's, you know, breakfasts are usually not your best use of a dining credit because they tend to be cheaper meals than um, another dinner. So especially like the buffets tend to be cheaper. Um, but this one for it being on the monorail, you can just go straight into Magic Kingdom. And when you get there, you don't have to wait for Mickey. You don't have to wait for Pluto. You have all of these characters that you've met, Lilo and Stitch already. Um, that you don't have to do when you get to Magic Kingdom. So as a time saver and for the view of the castle and the fact that you get to walk through the Polynesian on the way there, I'm going to say Ohana for breakfast. Mm. That's a good one. We've never done that. We have not. It is worth doing. It's just it's just like a magical morning because, well, if you're going to, I wouldn't recommend it if you're like, going to head to Animal Kingdom, but if it's your Magic Kingdom day, beautiful start to the day. And they serve stitch juice. Ooh. Stitch juice. What is that? It is orange juice. I'm looking at my daughter. Oh, pineapple juice. It's a mix of all your favorite juices. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. We could get behind that. Yeah. Yeah. And they give you a lay. There's a little parade. And, you know, my children don't believe this and they did not join me, but adults can be in that parade. <laughs> <laughs> so sticking with characters, what is your favorite character meet and greet moment? So this one is very near and dear to my heart and very recent. Um, for Hurricane Irma, we um, I, we had been living here maybe three months. No, it's probably six months when Hurricane Irma rolled through. And we're from Ohio. And Ohio is like, you know, <laughs> like maybe a few hours earlier, someone tells you there's a tornado on the way and you sit in your basement for a while and listen to the radio. But here, two weeks before it happens, they will tell you that a storm monster is coming to kill you in your entire town. So get ready. And we're like, uh, what do we do? And my husband's in the National Dragon. He was still in Ohio. So it's just me and my two older kids who are here. And it was us. It was two chickens and a turkey and a snake and two dogs that we had down here so far. We didn't have the other two yet. We all got into, I don't know if you know what a Scion XB is, but it's a very small char. It looks like a toaster. Um, and we piled everyone in there and we, we got out of Dodge. We left um, because we're right near the beach and we're by an evacuation zone. So our evacuation zone is um, maybe like the third one in from the ocean. So it's pretty vulnerable. So we figured we needed to get out now before they start evacuating and then we're just stuck on the freeway with everyone else when the hurricane comes. So we got out of here. Uh, we stayed um, in the panhandle for a bit and then came back. We had a harrowing journey where we're sneaking these chickens and a turkey into hotels. Um, <laughs> we didn't know what else to do. We couldn't leave them at home because they would starve because we weren't there. And our power, it turns out, was out for uh, two weeks too. We didn't leave them outside because they would die in a hurricane. So we put them in like a small dog trait and put them in the char and they traveled with us and they were adolescent size then they weren't full drone so we were a little lucky there so we would go in and out of all of these hotels like making noise because whenever you picked up this cage you know they're like <laughs> like they're like getting excited because the cage is moving 
So we had to like make noise and cover it and sort of pretend there was a dog in there. Just like hotels during the hurricane, they were very traumatizing, but I don't know how they felt about chickens. <laughs> so <laughs> like pretending there was another dog in there. And so we had to do like this parade. We stayed at a few different hotels because everything was booked. You know, you had to move, like, move around if you wanted somewhere to stay. And at one point we thought we were going to have to camp outside um, in the panhandle. It was pretty dire circumstances. So we had to go in and out of some hotels. Um, and it was rough. It was a rough time. We went through about two weeks of this. And I was finally like, well, we need to start making our way back home. Let's try to stay at Disney because we have DVC. And a lot of people had bailed on their reservations, so there was room there. I was like, wow, this is like our only option. This is amazing. So we booked a room at Old Key West, and we stayed there with our, our chickens and our dogs. And the people there, when we checked in, they were like, are you running from Irma? And we said, yes, cast member we are. And we probably look like crazy people right now because we've been on the road for two weeks. Um, so we put all, you know, we had everybody, um, all the the zoo was in the room. And we went to Magic Kingdom. I was like, kids, we, this has been rough. Let's go and just frigid our troubles for a minute. We're in the Fortress of Florida. There will be, be water and electricity here. We can finally, like, relax. We're not going to get dropped by the storm. We went to see Talk to Mitty. And Talk to Mitty, I don't know if they write down in their system somewhere that you are an Irma runner or, like, what they do because they put first visit in there. You know, sometimes they'll write something special in the system. We went in to talk to Mickey, and he um, he did a magic trick for us. It lasted a very long time. My kids and I forgot where we were. You know, we forgot all about our situation, you know, completely for at least a few minutes. Everything just went away, and we were just hanging out with Mickey, and he was messing up this magic trick like you wouldn't believe. Um, and, you know, at the end, he's like, well, I told you I needed help. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, maybe. <laughs> and we were just, you know, I to meet any celebrity in the world and just be like, hey, how you doing? But every time I see Mickey, I'm like, oh, my God. And I never know what to say at character greetings. But he made it easy for us. And he made us completely forget this terrible situation that we were in. And we to finally relax, at least for that, you know, it had to be 10 or 15 minutes. That Sorry, that was really long. <laughs> no, I love that story. You need to uh, trade talking Mickey stories with um, Big Fat Panda. <laughs> I think both of you had very emotional moments with him. And that I, I love that for you guys. Secretly, I'm also very sad that we never met him. So envious. <laughs> I hope they bring him back. I listened to your talk with Big Fat Panda. He said his rumor on his source I took that to Jod. I was like, okay, they're going to bring Talk to Mickey back. Sounds good. <laughs> yep. So hope, we're all hanging in there. I hope so. hope so. We will be first in line. So next one would be your favorite Disney movie. Is it Aladdin? It is Aladdin, but I also put or Guardians of the Galaxy, question mark. So <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like in my head, I'm trying to reconcile these. It's tough because I am a... Um, somebody recently I'm a paint yourself blue and wear a bald chap sort of um convention goer so I'm really into Star Wars my husband and I have made Tustin Raider costumes I've made a set of Jedi robes like we're in deep so now that Disney owns Star Wars it's like making it pretty hard to say um but I want to say maybe Jardians because I was in that movie and it had been such a long time since I was like I was like in the movies watching it for the first time and it 
like dawned on me while I was sitting there. I was like, I'm so glad I'm in this movie. I'm so glad I'm in this adventure right now. And I just had the time of my life. Mm. I, I got to go watch Guardians now. Yeah. It's that so is, good. Is your favorite, for sure. I, it's hilarious. <laughs> the it timing is. is beautiful. Like they, they really, they didn't do anything too long. They didn't do anything too short. They gave everybody their moment. I love, oh, I don't want to say spoiler for the new Avengers movie, but there's a moment in there with Peter Twill where he's, I can't even say, but it draws back to the first movie. Have you guys seen it? We yes. have. Oh my God, maybe you know what I'm talking about, but whoever's listening to this, you gotta go out and see it just for just for the snippets of Guardians Trollbacks that they have in there. It is, it's just a good movie. Even if you didn't like Marvel, like you have to appreciate that this movie was well-made. For sure. Mm-hmm. So the next one would be your favorite Disney song. So I like the funny songs. Um, I think I really like Shiny. That's one of my new favorite, uh, my newer songs, Shiny from Moana mm-hmm. um, is really good. Uh, Friend Like Me really gets me going during um, Happily Ever After. The scene that they project on the castle is amazing. It's like this Las Vegas scene that they project on there now during the fireworks show at Magic Kingdom. And it's like, man, I could dance forever. I love um, How Do You Know He Loves You from um, from Enchanted that, that Giselle sings. Do you guys know that song? Yes. That one is such, it's such a jam. I just really, and I think it's sort of underappreciated. I like Try Everything from Zootopia. And then for the shower, if we're talking about singing in the shower, I like to sing A Dream is a Wish Your Heart Makes. I don't know why. Okay. That's a they're good all one. very different. They're different moods, I guess. I was gonna say that's a, quite the variety. I can't sure. just pick one. I mean, how impossible! Do, what's your favorite Disney song? I feel like this is a mean question. How can you? <laughs> <laughs> Go the distances up there. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, I I always miss it, but it's the Mulan. The di- let's get down to business. What's that one called? Um. I'll make a man out of you. That's it. That's it. I love that's a jam. Yeah. It's that one's kind of like journey where you can like clench your fists and go mysterious as the dark side of the moon. You know, like with once it comes on and you've got people in the room, like everybody's dancing it. Yeah, you definitely have to dance with it. I like um if we're talking about like funny songs, you're welcome. Yes. That's a good one. If we're in the car and we're playing like our Disney playlist, if the if the Chippendale Rescue Rangers theme song comes on, <laughs> that my mind. yeah, that's a good one. That would be my husband's favorite for sure. <laughs> DuckTales too, but Chippendale Rescue Rangers probably higher up there. DuckTales, they would show at school sometimes, and everybody would sing along. And then when the woo part comes up, everybody would just like laugh because it's something people did at home by themselves and watch <laughs> cartoons. And then suddenly they were like around everyone, and they all knew the song. I'm always going to take a chance to plug this. If nobody, if you've, if you've never seen Brendan Urie, who is the lead singer of Panic at the Disco, sing the DuckTales theme song on Jimmy Fallon, it's the best two-minute YouTube. <laughs> I'm into it. I'm, I'm more of a Chonin person, but I'm writing that down. Jimmy Fallon. Yes. I'm going to check it out. Brendan Urie. It is excellent. <laughs> So next one would be your favorite Disney quote, either from Walt himself or from any of the movies. So 
I didn't do that. <laughs> I picked one from Jim Henson, which I feel like is Termit's Waltz. So um, if that's allowed. That is completely allowed. Okay. Um, the quote that I've always loved from Jim Henson, and it's led me, like, as a, as a parent, as a leader, um, I think it's very close to Mr. Rogers' um, ethos, too, is kids don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. So leading by example and doing things in what you believe is the right way and making choices or standing up when other people don't stand up or just speaking in the right way or working with your anger in a right way. I think that that is so impactful um, to your kids or to a team or even just to other people in your lives. So I think the way that you act and the way that you present yourself is something that, you know, they're going to remember your kindness more than they are you telling them to be kind. Mm. Yes. You need to put that on your wall in your classroom, Catherine. I was going to say, I do love that. That's so, that's just so thought provoking, I think. Yeah, it's a beautiful sentiment. And not only is it like a way to impact others, but it's like just a reminder for yourself, you know, you got to practice what you preach. Mm-hmm. So the last question of our fast pass round is just what is your favorite Disney parks memory? So I would have to say it might just be, you know, being there for Hurricane Irma. And it was actually, it saved us. It really did. We had no power at home. We had nothing to come home to. Um, We barely had gas in our car and we didn't know if we would make it home because the reality was all the gas stations were out of gas. Um, It was very scary, actually. Um, We were stuck. And to be able to go there, and I guess it sounds cheesy, but like, you know, nothing's going to, um, nothing's going to destroy Disney. If there's something going down in Florida, you can bet Disney's got the lights on. So it was just amazing to be able to not only go there and have a place to stay and have it be our refuge till we could come home, but for it to also be a place where people were welcoming and like they wanted to help after being just like really um, not in a good place on the road, like really out in the boonies on a country road, wondering if, if there's going to be a gas station and if you hit one, will it have gas? Am I going to have to like camp outside with my kids tonight or what? Um, being able to do that uh, was just amazing. It, it really did save us in that instance. Mm, that is awesome. And you haven't even heard it, but we actually, is it the episode before where Johnny mentioned that that was his favorite Disney memory as well of being there in a hurricane? Yeah, really? not that I would ever be envious of being in a hurricane because I, I mean, like I'm a weather wimp as it is. I grew up in Kansas <laughs> with like tornadoes. So I'm like red alert whenever there's like a storm, but it does seem like a great place to be. But yes. Two- Two straight episodes with a hurricane mentioned. <laughs> I mean, crazy. it was an oasis, man. And not only was it safe, not only did it have electricity and running water, but like, like they were also actively conscious of it and trying to help you forget about it for at least a minute. Absolutely. Awesome. So, Rain, our very last question for you. And it's if you have one piece of parting guidance or advice that you can give to someone who's looking to jump into this community, either as a content creator, or maybe they want to open up a shop and start creating their own products. 
what would be your advice to that person? So it's be authentic. Um, like I said, people are craving authenticity these days, whether they whether it's fully dawned on them or not. People want to hear that you didn't just go to a media event and see chup takes laid out beautifully, not have to pay for them or wait in line. Um, they want to know that you went and you tried it just like anybody else and you have the right tips for it. You're being yourself. Um, you're not trying to put on any kind of face, which is the truth is, is that everybody, everybody looks down at their phone and accidentally has thumb head because the camera's facing the wrong way. Everyone knows that that person exists um, and, that, and that happens to everybody and that everybody has a range of what they look like on any given day. So the more, more authentic you are about your experiences and the more authentic you are about your appearance um, and you know the things that you say, say what you believe in. And that sounds like just so cliche, but really right now we're hitting a point um, in social media where people are gonna really want something honest. There's a lot of noise out there. So the way to get in front of the noise is to um, present what you only you have, and that's you. I love that. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think just like everything else that you've shared with us today, like it is so applicable, and I think it's so helpful for anyone you know out there who's you know already in this world or who's looking to jump into this you know Disney content world. So I can say that we have really enjoyed talking with you today. Oh, I've enjoyed talking with you. Well, perfect. Well, Rain, one last thing before we go, if you can remind our listeners where they can connect with you online. Yes. So I am at Rain Loves Disney on Instagram. And I also have a site where I post. So if I post a story somewhere, I'll often do a behind the scenes on my own site, which is rainlovesdisney.com. And then I'll kind of talk about what it was like when I was reporting on something. Perfect. We will put the links to both of those in our show notes as well. So Rain, thank you so much for joining us. We really had a blast chatting with you and I know it's been so valuable for our listeners. Thanks guys. Have a great night. Do you like Star Wars? How about Marvel? How about Disney? If you answered yes to any of these, we'd love to have you listen to our new podcast, Kingdom Outcast. We're just three guys chatting about news, topics, and events in the Disney universe. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Subscribe to the show and leave a review to help more people find us. Follow us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland underscore podcast to see our pictures from the parks. See you real soon.